0: Hi everyone! Welcome to Literacy Podcast. Melissa and Lori love literacy. We are thrilled to have our guest today because we love to talk with experts and authors, and this guy is both. So, Melissa, I know you're excited for uh, for Morgan today.
1: Absolutely. So we have Morgan Polikoff, who is the author of Beyond Standards: The Fragmentation of Education Governance and the Promise of Curriculum Reform, which. I think it has been recommended to us by several people who have been on the podcast. (laughs) So probably while we were on the podcast, so you probably heard it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love the hopeful title. So Morgan, welcome to the podcast.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, The title, I I can tell you, was uh, A Labor of Love. I think I I suggested (laughs) about 50 different titles, and then she rejected all of them and told me what the title would be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Well, I like the title. I do <laughs> a, How, how does, does it work? Do you,
0: <laughs> do you just throw, I, you know, the, throw and see well, what sticks?
2: Yeah. I mean, the problem was, you know, right. Book, uh, book publishers want titles that are going to be like search engine optimized. So it had to have like wow. all of the particular words that, so it had to have standards huh. had to have curriculum and and you're right, that the optimistic tone, like all of mine, all of my proposed titles were about how, everything, how everything is terrible, and she was like, you can't have a title like that, so.
1: That is so funny. Yeah.
0: Well, you, you came up with a winner. I like it.
1: <laughs> well, we talk about curriculum all the time on our podcast and how important it is, especially, obviously, literacy curriculum we're focused on, but... Just curious, like, how did you get to the point of writing this book? Like, what brought you to this topic?
2: Sure, you know, uh, I've been interested in standards um, since uh, actually my grad school admissions essay was about standards and uh, the role of standards and instruction, and uh, and I've been studying it ever since. So. Um, You know, studying standards from a policy perspective, right? My PhD is in education policy. It's not in any of the content areas, but standards are really one of sort of the main um, instructional policies that we've had for like 30 years. But I think that uh, everyone would agree that we haven't seen the kinds of instructional change that we would like from standards. And so this book is like me taking a step back after 15 years of doing research on standards, um, to say what's working, what isn't, you know, what do we need to do differently if standards are really going to live up to the policy promise that, uh, you know, uh, their advocates, um, you know, put forth and, um, and it was, I've never written a book before. It was really exciting and challenging and, and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm really pleased with how it, how it turned out.
0: So am I allowed to ask you, did you have a ghostwriter or did you write this one?
2: I I didn't even know ghostwriters were a thing. I mean, among academics, uh, no, no. no I, I,
0: I I was listening to a podcast and somebody said they had a ghostwriter, and then somebody else said they re- actually like wrote their book, and they said it would have been much easier if they had a ghostwriter. But I, after talking with you in the pre-call, I heard your voice when I was reading. Oh, this yeah. book.
2: It's so very, I figured you wrote it. <laughs> it's very much in my voice. I mean, it's it's kind of conversational in tone, and it, mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit. Sometimes pithy or snarky or, you know, it's very direct, right? And that's what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be, I didn't want it to be like a pointy headed, uh, you know, theory book that only, you know, other academics would read. I wanted it really to be aimed primarily at school district and state leaders. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, people who make decisions about curriculum. Mm-hmm. um and and about policy because they're the ones who I yeah. think have the sort of um tools in their bag to actually change uh standards uh, moving forward
0: absolutely well thank you for thank you for writing to that audience I think that's important to say that that I don't think that that's an audience that is, um, especially like state leaders, that, that gets addressed much. So I, I really appreciate that. And I know Melissa does too, because we talk a lot about how we feel like Maryland in particular is a little behind the, the curve on policy stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess when you look across and you see other states, like I think 20 so far have adopted policies. Um, so we, we're very hopeful that... The, that Maryland and, and the the other states will read your book too. So thank you for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, Maybe we'll just send I, them copies.
0: <laughs> I think we'll just mail them.
2: <laughs> I do think the trend is in the right direction. Just recently, I spoke at a at a conference for the um, I'm not going to remember the exact name of the organization, but it was basically the organization for math curriculum people in states. And, you know, so it was just like, uh, so it'd be like whoever's in charge of math curriculum at the Maryland State Department. And that audience was exactly who I wanted to talk mm-hmm. to. Um, cool. So there's a lot of cool things going on in curriculum. And a lot of it doesn't even get any attention because some states are actually trying to do stuff under the radar because it can be politically fraught. Um, and mm-hmm. so that, you know, that's kind of another interesting phenomenon.
0: Yeah. We've wanted to have, um, like, a a State Department leader on. I mean, I know we've had a couple on, but we want to have some who are not yet there and maybe, like, have a conversation like this, like, hey, did you read Beyond Standards? What are you thinking? And how, like, what is your journey going to look like? Like, what is this path going to look like? So maybe we'll get there one day, but that would be a really, uh, I think, humble and Maybe nerve wracking for that person in particular. So I don't know if we'll find the the person who would be willing to be as vulnerable (laughs) as we would love them to be.
1: (laughs) I'm wondering, Morgan, if we can dig into. You said talked about the standards, and I wanted to start there. Of like, they had we had such like high hopes for standards, right? Of like, this is going to to change the way education. Yeah, it's going to just change everything, but as you've seen, (laughs) and and say in your book, not quite. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like what was the the hope and and promise of standards and why it didn't quite work out the way we thought?
2: Yeah, I mean, the the idea of standards is is based on a a relatively simple sort of theory of change, right? It's, you know, if we make clear what students are supposed to know and be able to do, right? If we set clear um, expectations and we support teachers to meet those expectations through things like aligned assessment and aligned curriculum materials of professional learning, um, that the teachers will teach what's in the standards and the students will learn it. Right. And if, if what's in the standards is good, then we'll have made things better. Um, and, uh, you know, it really started as a reform in, in individual states. Um, and, you know, there were some early movers on standards. And then uh, the Fed started getting more and more involved. In the 90s, uh, standards, you know, were first required in all states. And then No Child Left Behind was really the policy that sort of ratcheted it up a notch, um, you know, requiring standards and uh, multiple subjects and testing in every grade. Um, and, and then, and, you know, and then since then we've had ESSA, um, every student succeeds act, which has sort of softened things a little bit, but standards are still at the heart of policy, right? So every state Mm -hmm. has to have the standards, um, you know, of course mixed in, and there was common core, right? So that happened sort of in this, uh, in this lull between no child left behind and ESSA, but, you know, 40-some states, depending on how you count, have Common Core <laughs> um, as their math and ELA standards, and, uh, or some very close variant thereof. Um, so right now we're in a place where, you know, you've got 50 states. As I said, about 40 of them have common standards in math and ELA. There's also the next-generation science standards, which I don't know the count off the top of my head, about 20 states, I think, have an NGSS um, and then, but under ESA, you know, you've really relaxed the sort of federal requirements around standards for the supporting policy. So you've got states doing wildly different things. So some mm-hmm. states are really still, you know, have tightened the screws uh, in terms of accountability and, and testing and other states, you know, I mean, Florida just announced last week that they're giving up the state summative assessment altogether, which oh, is... I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, that's a new one. So they're planning mm, on using wow. the three three statewide interim assessments and creating some kind of total score out of that. They haven't exactly said how they're going to do it yet. But um, so, you know, I mean, I think we're, we're in a place where, yeah, there's still standards, but there's kind of not a lot of energy behind the standards movement right now. Um, yeah. There's not sort of a natural advocate for it that there was, mm-hmm. you know, early on when you know, early in the standards movement, it was like you had equity advocates who were in support of, st- in support of standards and you had like conservative accountability hawks who are in support of standards. And <laughs> now kind of neither of those groups is really in support of standards and it's not really <laughs> clear who it, you know, who who's in, who, who likes standards. It's people in state departments of education who believe it's important. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say,
1: they, they kind of just are at this point, right? It's they, like they kind of right. exist. <laughs>
2: right, so I think, yeah. you know, I think, you know, and one of the tricky things about the book was trying to strike that balance. Like, I'm not saying we should get rid of standards. I definitely am not. I am saying standards have not achieved what they set out to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are just a part of the ecosystem now. And I don't think that they are that they are going away. The question is, how can we make them better, right? How can we, if, you know, they're going to be there. How can we actually achieve them at a, at a higher rate? Because we just really haven't.
0: Can I throw in another question around standards that I feel like is important to address? Um, The states took standards and then said, like, you know, these standards that we all came up with, we feel like we want to adjust them for our states. I'm curious about your thoughts on that because to like that seems a little bit nerve-wracking to me that we have now different lots of different variations of this same set of standards that was set out to be a standard and if you take a standard and you change it it changes the standard so i'm <laughs> curious for your thoughts
2: <laughs> yeah well i mean right so so you know pre common core you really had 50 states with 50 different sets of standards and and they varied really dramatically. You know, some were, you know, some could fit on five pages of a PDF and others were 80 or 100 pages. Um, And and Common Core tried to, uh, you know, uh, make standards consistent across the country and I think actually largely succeeded in that. Um, uh, You know, it was 45 states and some states have backed out and some states have, as you said, you know, added things here and there, by far the most common thing that states have done to Common Core is add cursive, which I could spend a whole (laughs) podcast talking about that particular change. Um, You know, I mean, listen, I think my personal opinion is that, you know, math instruction is math instruction and literacy instruction is literacy instruction. It doesn't matter whether you're in, you know, Tulsa or Little Rock. Right. You're, you know, those students are competing in the same economy and it's not obvious to me why there needs to be um, state specific differences. That said, you know, if states I think sometimes the way this works is states do this sort of, oh, we're going to um, we're going to reevaluate the standards and make some changes as a sort of form of political cover. Right. So they're keeping the vast majority of what's in the standards and they're changing a couple things. And that sort of placates the people maybe on the extremes who want to, you know, tear common core in half and light it on fire. Um, yeah. And if you just rename it and add two, th- two things, then you can sort of solve that political problem. So I understand why why folks do it. Yeah. And then some people also just genuinely believe that cursive is like the most important thing. So that's fine.
0: <laughs> Get it in there. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I kind of think it it's akin to, um, you know, how when and you talk about this in, a, a little bit in the book about when we give teachers high quality instructional materials that, you know, it's really important to for them to understand why the materials are important and the alignment and lots of different things. So the professional learning around that is paramount. But I feel like what we just talked about with everybody changing the standards or I guess m- maybe massaging the standards would be a better word. Might be akin to that, like teachers take the curriculum and feel the need to change it for their students, and Mm -hmm. and states take it and feel the need to change it for their LEAs. But I'm just like I feel like we have to really dig into the impact of all of that, and that's a really messy gray area that is you. It's very hard to like categorize.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's actually a very good point. I mean, I think that. that the the field is a field of sort of tinkerers, and we view that as part of the job, right? So there's a big resistance just in general to sort of taking something off the shelf and using it as is, right? There's yeah. all, you know, yeah. the expectation is you must change it in various ways to better support the students in your classroom, is usually the main reason why one would do that. Um And I think you're right. You know, I mean, I think the question is, are there really these big differences between, again, teacher between students in Oklahoma and students in Arkansas that necessitate changing the standards? I'm super skeptical of that. I mean, I could see in social studies that you would have differences, right? Because you have different state histories. And if you want to talk about that, but you know, in literacy instruction, or even more so in math instruction, it's just not clear to me what differences there really needs to be between states. And and this was the argument for Common Core, really, you know, that we were having back in 2008. Um, I wrote a piece, one of the earliest pieces I ever wrote with my advisor back in 2008 was arguing that we should have national standards. And this was exactly the argument that we made. Um mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I still think, broadly mm-hmm. speaking, it holds, even though I think, most people would say that Common Core hasn't lived up to its hype either in terms of affecting um, uh, either teaching or student achievement.
1: Yeah. That's where I was going to go next. <laughs> so I, I was looking at one of your quotes in the book that says the, the goal of the standards movement is consistency. And I I've like highlighted that word consistency. I was like, yes, like that's, that's kind of what Lori was getting at too. It was like, what, we were supposed to keep things consistent. Why are we changing things? But I think even if they are right, even if they adopt, common core exactly as it is are we still be like do you see consistency in classrooms just because the standards exist and I mean your book tells me no
0: yeah. <laughs> you see where I wrote I wrote consistency like really huge underneath yes thank you <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, that, so though believe it or not that quote was originally the goal is standardization. And my editor hated the word standardization and made me take it out. <laughs> so we came up with consistency instead. <laughs> I mean, I think, but but clearly, yes, the goal is um, that, you know, broadly speaking, right, that you could go into any classroom and you could see, uh, you know, over the course of a year, and you could see approximately the same kind of instruction, right? Instruction on the same topics, instruction to get students to master these skills. And I think, It clearly hasn't happened. I mean, anyone who goes into schools knows that it hasn't happened. (laughs) In fact, it's, you know, one of the studies that I cite in the book is, you know, we did these case studies of uh, schools and districts that were implementing Common Core. And I studied a local district here in Southern California. And I went into, I don't know, eight or 10 classrooms in that school. And it really was very consistent, what what I was seeing. and, And it was stunning. Like I hadn't been in a school like that before (laughs) where there was such agreement about what to do. And it wasn't scripted, but it was, everyone was on the same page. You know, even when they were supplementing the textbook, they were doing it in similar or consistent ways. There was only one classroom I observed in my whole time there that was not like that. And it was, you know, an older guy who was like, listen, I got two years (laughs) left to go and I'm not changing anything. But It's we all know if you've spent any time in schools, you know, that in the typical school, you know, you could go in two third grade classrooms and see totally different content being taught. And that's what uh, standards are trying to change.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm looking for the quote that talks about. um, Oh, my gosh. Here. I found it. Oh, the. uh, I'm going to read it out loud. Um, several characteristics of teachers in classrooms were associated with stronger implementation of standards in the classroom. For instance, in one study, you found that teachers' instructional alignment to standards increased as they gained more classroom experience up to a point. Um, alignment was no better and perhaps a little worse for highly senior teachers than mid-career teachers. So thank you for just supporting what you wrote in your book.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that makes sense, you know, if we think about the sort of timing of standards adoption cycles, at least pre common core, it's, it's, you know, it's not clear how things are going to be moving forward, but it used to be every seven to 10 years. And so you'd enter the classroom, you'd get familiar with a set of standards. And, you know, those first couple of years, maybe you're not paying as much attention to the standards. You're just trying to keep your head above water. So you're, and then Mm -hmm. you're sort of getting better (laughs) and better. And then they change the standards out from under you. And, you might change some to try and move to the new standards but you're probably not going to like radically redo everything and uh, so that that just makes sense and that's what we observed uh, that's what i observed in the in the data that i had
0: yeah i feel like melissa and i have talked about it a bit on the podcast but we could totally be really good examples of that data like within our own experiences at, as uh you know we were both teachers for I'd say about ten years, and within that decade, I mean the number of curricula that came and went, as well yeah. for both for everything, all subjects, as yeah. well as the the standards and I mean way back and, and assessments, right? Like state assessments. So we haven't even gotten there yet. <laughs> Throw all right, that right, in, right. and that's it's <laughs> it's just constantly a revolving door. So I do understand why educators are a bit wary too accept something new, such as, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, here are these common core standards and we're coming in strong. And it's hard to, when you've been around the block a few times.
2: For sure. And I mean, that stability is important. And I think the sort of, and I think, you know, there's a degree, there's a degree to which, right. Leadership is clearly important there too, right. Making clear to teachers you know, what these changes are, why they're important, making clear that, you know, yes, we're adopting new curriculum, but this is the curriculum for the next X years. And like, here's the plan for how we're going to get you up to speed on this curriculum. Here's, you know, not just what are you doing tomorrow, but what are you doing over the next several years? That was another thing we observed in the case studies was that this was a district where Um, you know, they had adopted new curriculum and they said to teachers, listen, in this first year, we really want you as much as possible to try and stick with it, right, to try and do it approximately as written. (laughs) And at the same time, figure out what's working and what's not so that next year we can collectively work together to shore up those weaknesses, to fill in those gaps that, you know, we know are going to emerge. And having that sort of clarity about what the plan was for rolling out the materials, I think was really, really important.
1: So, I'm thinking about curriculum because you just brought it up. I just I was having this flashback to my first year of teaching. Um I was in Louisiana and so we had we had stand, state standards at the time, not Common Core, but just the state standards. Um, and I was I had no materials at all. I mean I literally I, I've told this before but like I was going through closets in the in the you know all the old books in the closets to find anything <laughs> to, to teach my kids. And so I had to do so much work to try and meet these standards. And I'm, what am I, 20 at that, 21 at that point? I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Like, I had no idea what I was doing. And here I am trying to, like, piece this all together. Um, so I can see how, like, this consistency and standards, like, I mean, I was not, I wasn't anywhere near those standards, I'm sure, because I was just trying Mm -hmm. my best.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you know, listen, to be frank, My opinion is that what you experience is like total malpractice, right? I mean, for someone to Mm -hmm. come into the classroom and not have core materials that are aligned with the expectations uh, that that teachers aren't given that, I I just, it doesn't, I mean, it's just wrong, right? As you said, it puts all this labor on you. You weren't even necessarily trained in how to do that. You might, I mean, you know, some, some teachers really want to do that and, you know, they really want to create their curriculum from scratch and, uh, you know, and I'm not really about telling teachers what to do, but (laughs) the idea that, you know, these first year I mean, out of everyone, that's the group that most needs a quality core material is the first and second year (laughs) teacher. Right. And (laughs) I just think that, uh, you know, and I think I, I, I said this in, um, a piece recently, you know, I was asked about, um, you know, well, why isn't the state getting more involved in curriculum? And, and I said, listen, it, it is it is malpractice for uh, for districts or states not to provide teachers with quality curriculum materials, right? It's It would be like if, they, you know, the hospitals didn't provide doctors with, you know, stethoscopes or something. I mean, and like made them figure out how to take people's vital signs, Right. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and I think it just really exacerbates inequality, right? Inequality, um, you know, because where are the teachers most likely to be? First year teachers in the most disadvantaged schools serving the most underserved students, right? And and they're not given the materials. New Orleans, I
1: mean, Louisiana. <laughs> right. So anyway, we could go on and
2: on. But I, I just think that is so it, it's really upsetting to me. And I think it should, and I yeah. think it should, you know, really rile people up that that we put um we put teachers at at this enormous disadvantage. And it hurts the teachers, and I think it hurts the students too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah and and from the teacher lens you just think like oh the like this is my job right this is what
0: the expectation
1: right. is of me so if i'm not doing it well <laughs>
2: then right
1: it's me i'm not doing my job well when it's not that's yeah. not in fact the case
2: yeah
0: yeah and i mean almost 20 years later it's still happening and i think that that's really the the part that is the most disheartening and as you said upsetting and you know keeps you up at night that 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 exactly what you described Melissa is still happening i have friends who are teachers all over the state of maryland that same story is not uncommon and i mean just as last week you know i had a a teacher friend call me and she's like well, tell me about your curriculum again <laughs> <laughs> you know she's like i would die for those materials i would die to have something to open up and to be able to teach that is quality that i don't have to um Go search for a book that aligns with whatever it is that they're they're suggesting in the curriculum, and I use curriculum in air quotes in that sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to hear from you, Morgan, what we're defining as high quality materials. Like, let's kind of transition into like you know we're we're saying concre- uh, we're saying concretely that we do believe that teachers need high quality materials. That it mm-hmm. is non practice for them not to have it. What is what does high quality mean?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, I I think, listen, clearly quality is to some extent in the eye of the beholder. I think people will have different (laughs) uh, opinions about what high quality is. But but broadly speaking, you know, a high quality material is one that first and foremost is aligned with standards, which is to say, if teachers use it relatively um, faithfully, that students will be able to master whatever skills are in their grade level standards. So that's part of it. I think it's, it's usable, right? So a good curriculum um, has to be something that, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's usable, meaning it comes with supportive materials, you know, for teachers to understand it comes with uh, all the other things that go along with curriculum, like, you know, sample assessments or rubrics, if teachers want those kinds of things that, it, it um, you know, it's something that, not that teachers can like pick it off the shelf and implement it five minutes later, but, but also not (laughs) that teachers have to go out and do tons of outside work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, uh, it's engaging and uh, engaging to students of all types. Um, you know, so it, it, uh, it has diverse authors It you know, covers topics that are of interest and, you know, it's maybe not all about, you know, 18th century cotton farming or I don't know I'm just picking some weird esoteric (laughs) topic right um and but no but I mean it is engaging it's culturally relevant and because and and then that's important because you know if you if you talk to teachers about where their curriculum materials fall short that's often the main critique is that the materials aren't engaging enough right um and that's why they go and they (laughs) supplement with like QC fun product you know prop um materials from pinterest or whatever it's because their core materials they feel like don't don't engage their students um you know I, i think those are probably the three things that would stick out the most to me um so standards aligned usable and engaging um there are probably other dimensions you might have other things that that you think of as being particularly important in curriculum materials um and i think you know there are organizations out there. EdReports is is uh, you know doing a lot of work evaluating curriculum materials, and they have particular things that they look for. But I also think that individual districts, if they want, or states can evaluate materials against their own um, you know rubrics or dimensions. Right? They can look for what they think is most important. Um, but the but I don't think that it's really a good idea to have individual, you know, three million individual teachers trying to look through a bunch of materials and figure out which one is gonna work the best for their student. Again, that's not really uh that's not really labor that we prepare teachers to be able to do. And 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 it's you know, it wouldn't make sense anyway.
1: Yeah. And those examples you gave I, I heard a lot of that i'm bringing the consistency back cuz i liked it <laughs> tell your editor i like the i like the word <laughs> but i heard you know like when you pick those materials off of pinterest over what was ever what, what was picked in the curriculum you know you now you have the consistency might be gone it might be a different text it might be at a totally different level and now the rigor's not there anymore for that grade level you know it's 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 totally different or the i, I like that you brought up the rubrics right like everyone's interpretation of what Fourth grade writing should look like could be very different, but the the curriculum materials can give some consistency to that, at least across you know a school or a district or a state, maybe. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Probably (laughs) not. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Some states have have it going well though. They've they're they're making the transition, and I think that that's where I'd love to go next with you, Morgan, Mm -hmm. is, you know, if there, if there, if we know that states can play a key role in this, what could the role look like? What could it look like to transition to supporting local education agencies with quality instruction materials and professional learning? And, you know, how are, how are some states doing this? Well,
1: should we just talk about Louisiana?
2: Right. Louisiana, <laughs> Louisiana now versus Louisiana. when I was
0: there yeah, yeah. <laughs> 20 years makes a big difference <laughs>
2: yeah and I mean I, I mean Louisiana is a case where I, I think it really does come down to you know exemplary leadership and like a clear vision with um you know, a clear vision for how standards are actually going to be implemented. Um, But, you know, I mean, states can do anything along a continuum, right? So as you said, there's a lot of states, even still today, where the state basically says, we have nothing to do with curriculum, right? We put out the standards, maybe we put out like a curriculum frameworks document, but that's the end of the state's role, because we're local control, right? (laughs) And you hear that in a lot of states, um, even states that I think, People think of as being relatively high performing, right? So Massachusetts like Mar- is a like state Maryland. that is, Massachusetts, Maryland, <laughs> Minnesota, right? These are states that are proudly local control, leaving things up to individual districts. Um, but you know, there's a whole continuum. So, like the bare minimum is states can say. You know, here are approved materials, right? That we think are good, and you, and we encourage you to districts to encourage to adopt one of these materials, right? Mm-hmm. That's like the lowest bar, and a lot, and and some states do that. Um, I think one step beyond that is to say you know, what Louisiana has done, which is really, these are the materials and, you know, we're not just going to encourage you, we're going to put real incentives behind the adoption of of the best materials, right? And so Louisiana has this tiered ranking system and they put a lot of incentives to get districts to adopt tier one materials, which are the the most aligned, the best materials, according to their evaluations. And the result in Louisiana is the vast majority of districts actually do adopt tier one materials. And in particular, they adopt a a couple different materials. They adopt Louisiana guidebooks, and they adopt Eureka um, in math, And um, and so the the result is that in Louisiana, more so than, I believe, any other state except Hawaii, which doesn't count because it's only one district, Um, They districts have (laughs) adopted the same materials, right? So it's like 70-some percent of districts have adopted those two materials I just mentioned, which is unheard of in in many other states where it's really much more diffuse than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I think states can go beyond that, right? So another thing Louisiana does is it actually provides professional development on the adopted materials, right? So over the summer, they provide professional development institutes, on tier one uh, materials, or they, identify pro- or they identify providers who can provide professional development. Um, and, you know, again, that's another area where, yes, you could leave it up to the individual districts to figure out how to provide PD, but if you've got 70% of districts using the same material, you can actually do things at a state level that you can't do when you've got 5% of districts using this book and 7% using that book. Um,
0: That's right, and, and and I I believe they're training their internal people too with some of yeah. them some of the quote stuff right some of the content so that then they can have experts in house or in state that would really be supportive of of continuing this work long term rather than having to continue to work with partners you would work with partners and then there'd be a gradual release over time is that right
2: yeah right and I mean I think what what Louisiana is, is saying through its actions is we believe it is the state's responsibility to ensure that a high-quality curriculum is taught in every school in the state, which on the one hand sounds like of course, that's the yeah, state, I was like, right. <laughs> right? But on the other hand, is like so far beyond what a lot of other states have been doing that it really is remarkable. And there's some research out of uh, you know, uh, principally uh, out of RAND, where they compare what's going on in Louisiana to what's going on in other states, and you can see that teachers understand the standards better and say that they're implementing the standard standards-aligned practices in various ways better than teachers mm-hmm. in other states and it's not to say that it's perfect right I'm sure if we had some Louisiana teachers on right now they would have (laughs) things to say about it but but clearly you know um, it it is having an impact in terms of uh, what and how teachers are teaching Um, yeah yeah
0: can I also just go back to the point where we mentioned high performing states and I just want to make sure that we say that they're cons- not considered by us high-performing states. They're considered by, you know, data other data measures, high-performing states. And that, I mean, personally, I'll say, I feel like we can't say high-performing until we have almost all of our kiddos reading. Right. Rooting. You know, right. So I just want to make sure we say that, like, they're just considered by these statistical measures yeah. of, you know, whether it's grade four NAEP or whatever it is that it's, quote, high performing or, you know, the different um, NAEP scores. But that is, all, I think, right. really important.
2: <laughs> yeah. And it's also right. And when I say high performing, I mean, it's also relative. Right. So, like, yes. right. yeah, yeah right. Massachusetts and Maryland look really good. But that's also in part because they're being compared with, sorry, California. And uh, yeah, totally. So, right. <laughs> But no, I agree. And, 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 you know, we can talk about high averages, but there's huge within-state disparities that we're all well aware of. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, in some of those states that are the highest performing also have some of the largest disparities, right? You know, I, I know, for instance, there's enormous disparities in um, Minnesota between black and white students, I think some of the largest mm-hmm. in the country. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and and, and regardless... Even in the states that are "quote" high performing, large proportions of kids still are not reading at grade level. So, you know, yeah. uh, clearly there's work to be done. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, it's always been interesting teaching in Baltimore, <laughs> in right. the state of Maryland. Right? You're like Baltimore is yeah. very different than than the right. picture of education for Maryland. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a good point, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, I'm wondering about I, I know that, like you said we thought standards would sort of be like the fix, right? Like that this will make everything better. And then, you know, now, you know, your your book pushes for it. We push for it of like you know, curriculum is I don't want to say the thing, but I would say a thing <laughs> that will help yeah. with this consistency and making things better. But I your your book touches on a few, like, um, you know, other things need to happen too, right? You can't just like say, okay, everyone, buy eureka math and now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden things are perfect Mm -hmm. (laughs) can you can you just touch on some of those other like what what else is going on in the system that we also need to just be aware of and think about
2: sure well i mean there's stuff that's i think relevant to curriculum and then there's also a bunch of policy stuff that isn't relevant to curriculum that's still important (laughs) right so you know i I
0: know i know
2: yeah, so I mean, and, and, like, I threw all this in, like, two paragraphs in the last chapter of the book. And my, and my editor was like, well, people aren't going to like this. I'll let you keep it. But, um, you know, I mean, listen, relevant to curriculum, right? I mean, it, it, teachers have to, as I said, teachers have to be supportive with professional development. And I, yeah. and I think, you know, what does that look like? I think when we, when we went and talked to teachers about the professional development they received, you know what they didn't typically find so useful was here's what the online system looks like, and here's how you click through, and right, and that's a lot of what they get. Right, what they what they wanted was really more. Here's the instructional vision of the materials. Here's you know here's what we're trying to accomplish with these materials. Here's how you should understand and implement them. And then I think you know in in subsequent years, I think it's really. Here's what we've learned about how the materials are working well in our local district or not. and here's what you know we've identified as supplements that we think really fill in those gaps. Um, mm-hmm. Supplementation is another huge thing that I talk about in the book, right? <laughs> Virtually every teacher supplements their core curriculum assuming they're given one. And getting this, you know, sort of taming this supplementation beast is a huge issue. And mm-hmm. you know, I certainly don't want to say that teachers shouldn't supplement or shouldn't be allowed to a supplement or anything like that. But we do need to encourage more thoughtful supplementation and supplementation that again keeps some degree of consistency across classrooms within schools mm-hmm. and districts. So that's another sort of curriculum relevant thing. I mean, and and of course, another a last thing um, in this area, I think, is the quality of assessments and the usability of assessment data. Right? I think. You know, state tests are never, state summative tests at the end of the year are never really going to be particularly instructionally useful. That's not what they're there for. Um, but I think that teachers need instructionally useful assessments. And so having high yeah. quality aligned interim and benchmark tests that we mm-hmm. get the results back quickly and, and the results are, are usable, that's really important. Yeah. And then, of and course, there's... we could talk about other elements in the policy system too, right? Things like, uh, you know, school finance. Right, a lot of di- a lot of states still are not adequately funding yeah. <laughs> um, their their districts. Uh, we could talk about school district boundaries and how those oftentimes create um, you know segregation that really furthers inequities. So there's uh, there's certainly lots of other things going on in, in our education policy systems. Yeah.
0: the role of higher ed. Oh, did we lose? Hang on.
2: Uh, got, know, a, it like... got a tiny bit glitchy there. Sorry. Sorry. Ask that question. My internet again. has
0: been crazy. Yeah. No, it's saying it's unstable. Here. Is that better? Can Possibly. Hear you. Okay. <laughs> I can hear um, So I'm, I'm wondering, you mentioned in your book a little bit about, and I don't know if this fits into policy, but it, it definitely fits into structures. So. Nope,
2: hope we lost. No, again, we've got a <laughs> little glitch.
0: It keeps cutting me out. Yeah. Sorry. That's Melissa, fine. you want to ask it about higher ed? <laughs> I was like, what sorry. are you asking? I don't know. <laughs> I,
2: I, I'm pretty sure I know the question, but, uh, but yeah, you can ask it because you're...
1: Oh, I was, I'm sorry. I, I was that. too busy writing down where I'm going to need to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still there, Lori? No, she's not. What do you think? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Do you want to try and ask your question again?
0: Yeah, can you hear me at all? I don't know why it cut out randomly. Okay, perfect. All right. Okay, so I was thinking about the role of higher education in this this whole system and how it feeds the beast here. Can't, and I want to I want to talk about that just for like a minute um, mm-hmm. because I think we could I mean we have done whole other podcasts mm-hmm. on it but we could definitely talk to you for if we don't limit ourselves we could talk for probably an hour about that alone so right um, <laughs> you know give us give us the Reader's Digest version of your thoughts on higher ed in education and the role that it plays in in this this ecosystem.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's a couple of relevant points here. Certainly one is that higher education, you know, teacher education pre-service is, is itself a part of this really complicated messy system and one of the one of the challenges is again when you've got a state where, you know, no particular material is used in more than 5% of, or 10% of schools the higher the higher the teacher education program can't prepare teachers to use sure. any particular material right so yeah. something that you can do in louisiana now that you really can't do anywhere else is you could actually prepare teachers to say hey you're probably going to be using guidebooks or you're probably right. going to be using eureka math and and you could organize teacher education around the curriculum um, yeah. and, and that's something that you literally cannot do in other places. Um, yeah. so, so that's certainly one thing. I think the other thing is, you know, if I'm being sort of candid here, a lot of ed school teacher education folks don't really believe in standards and don't really believe in curriculum. And, and as a result, if their teaching isn't, it might, be, might not even be outright hostile Towards uh, the idea of using a core curriculum, but it might be, um, and yeah. I think a lot of teachers, uh, pre-service teachers, are receiving the message that if you use a core curriculum material, you're a bad teacher, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you that that it is your job to create curriculum, and I think about all the time that was spent in my own teacher education program teaching me how to quote create curriculum mm-hmm. when. I got to a school and they actually said, you know, by the way, this is our textbook and we expect you to use it. And I was like, I didn't know, I, I wasn't, I had no idea how to do that. Like, what was I, what was I supposed to do? And <laughs> right. and that's just one example, right? You know, every program is different because just like everything else, teacher education program and teacher education programs in the U S are unbelievably decentralized. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they're, like I said, they're just a part of, this really messy structure that is the American education system.
1: All right, Morgan, thank you so much for sharing with us today. We really, really appreciate, I mean, I really could keep talking to you about... (laughs) so many things in this book and um, we could like, we have a podcast on each one of them about curriculum, about higher education, so many things, Uh, but we're going to ask you to just leave one piece of advice for our listeners. Um, So good luck with that, with having a whole book that's full of good advice (laughs) of just having one.
2: (laughs) Um, You know, it's, it's challenging, as you said, to leave one uh, piece of advice. I mean, I think to me, the most important thing is, um, again, I, I just really feel like providing a high-quality curriculum, ensuring that every kid has access to a high-quality curriculum is should be the absolute baseline level expectation for, in particular, state departments of education, but also for districts. And so being just an advocate, I think that everyone should just be an advocate for having a high-quality curriculum. Uh, right in every classroom. And so whether that's, you're talking at your district level and you're talking to your school board or whether that's, you know, you're, you're having a conversation with someone who's at the state, um, just a
1: podcast.
2: In, you're doing a podcast, <laughs> absolutely. you're talking with a stranger on the bus. Um, you know, it, it, it's really a sense. I mean, that is, it, it's, it's just the absolute core of schooling. And every kid should have access to a high-quality curriculum. Period. Right. And so, advocate for that in whatever way you can.
1: That's great advice. Um, we appreciate you coming on today to talk to us. We love your book, and we're going to definitely um, make sure people are know know about it, and <laughs> and our listeners know about it. Do you Do you have it anywhere? Like, do you want to share? Do you have a website or anything?
2: Um, Well, uh, I don't personally have a website. You can get it on Amazon, but you can also get it on the, uh, it's published by Harvard Education Press. And if you use the code BSSP21, you can get 20% off on that website.
1: Oh um, man,
0: I didn't
2: know Yeah. Sorry. I owe, I owe you six dollars. <laughs> no, um so, uh, yeah.
0: Consider it your payment of- for the podcast here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> we'll we'll link it. We have uh, a recommendation section on our website and we'll link it there. And uh um, if we haven't already, we haven't linked yeah. it yet. We were I think we were waiting for this podcast. So okay. we'll link it. We'll we'll uh I don't know, can we link it to can we link it to Amazon, Melissa? Yeah, that's
1: what, yep. That's what it does platform. link directly to Amazon. <laughs> but I'll, I'll link it to the other one so people can get their, their discount.
2: <laughs> well, I, I just want to thank you both for having me on. I mean, I know it's a literacy podcast and I'm not a literacy guy, but I I, I think that um, we had a, a super interesting conversation that I hope your listeners appreciated. And um, yeah, really happy to talk about this stuff anytime.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. thank you. Yeah, it was so nice talking with you. Have a really good rest of your day, Morgan.
2: Thank you very much. You too.
0: Okay. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening, literacy lovers. Be sure to visit our website to subscribe to our newsletter and podcast. It's literacypodcast.com.
1: Yep. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Most of them are at Literacy Podcast.
0: Yes. And please, please, please reach out to us. Melissa, what's our email address?
1: Melissa and Lori at literacypodcast.com is our email address. And we love getting emails from you all. And
0: <laughs> Lori we and really I read them. Yeah, and we really, really respond.
1: Fun. We just love, <laughs> we love when you all reach out and we, we get to have conversations with you. So please, please email yep. us.
0: Let us know what you're thinking, what you're thinking about literacy, what you're thinking about
1: ideas for us to podcast about.
0: Yes, ideas for <laughs> podcasting, anything. We, we love to hear from you what you liked, what you want. Yeah, we're here so for you.
1: Mostly y'all are asking questions, which is great. Yes.
0: <laughs> we don't mind <buy> that either. <laughs> yes, we're so glad you're here to learn with us. Thank you, everybody.